This talk was recorded by Canvas Outreach Minneapolis, the College Ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church, as a part of the 2021 Summer Training Project. For more information on Summer Training Project or Canvas Outreach Minneapolis, visit cominneapolis.org. So getting into my talk, as you can see, we're going to be talking about fasting today. Um, and the subtitle is A Hunger for Heaven. And I hope that's going to be self-explanatory as we get into my talk. But I want to create in us to see a desire to have a hunger, not only for food, which we all find natural, but also that we would maybe decide to give that up for a time in order to um, place our ultimate hunger in God and feel a connection there that sometimes we can miss out on if all we think about is food or other things. So I'll get into that, but before we get into it, um, last time I spoke, if you remember, I had a picture of Ellie and I at a Timberwolves game, and then um, Ellie and myself, and then my siblings. And that's my physical family, minus my parents, but I'd be lying if I said that that just comprises all of our family. And I think especially the past year or so, some of you guys had the chance of meeting them, some of you know them well. The Czechs were down here, Ari and Lucas, and then Edwin and Calvin. And so Ellie and I live in their basement, and we really feel like we've been welcomed into their family the past year, and we really love living with them. But after my talk, I was talking about Ariana, about my talk, and the first thing she said was how mad she was that I didn't include a picture of all of us. Like, she just scolded me. She went at me for not including a picture. And so today, I felt like I had to include some pictures of, of all of us. And so if we change the slide here. So you can see, this is all of us at the beach the last week. Like, she, she got mad at me for not including a picture, but I was like, I don't know if we got a picture of the, whole fam of, of the whole crew. And so the whole crew made it this time, including Edwin and Calvin. And then the other picture is from last summer, I believe. Edwin's a lot younger, but it's... It's me and him reading the book. He went through a phase where he just wanted to read, 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 but not read, just look at pictures and just point to pictures every time. So he got really repetitive really quickly. Um, and there's also a video that I was going to show that we don't, I mean, we can't show, but it's basically Edwin. He had this book that he loved that was like this NBA book, NBA basketball. And the only reason he liked that book was for this one gorilla on one of the pages <laughs> and so you'd hold it and read it with him and he every single time he'd flip to the page with the gorilla point at it and want you to ask him what that was so he could say gorilla and then like just go like land on the couch like just run across the room and laugh so hard that he lands on the couch so i really wish we could have shown that video but it's okay um edwin edwin's really funny i hope you guys get the chance to to meet him and know him more going forward um, but so that's a little bit again about me. Um, we've been doing that, the staff have been doing that quite a bit going forward. Um, but without further ado, let's actually look into what this practice of fasting is actually like. Um, when I bring up the word fasting, I'm sure everybody probably has a different range of feelings when that, when that word is used. Um, for some of you, you may never have given it much thought. I know that's where I was coming into college. 
and others might see it reserved as only for like elite Christians. And then some of you might feel like it brings up like anxiety, feeling like that's kind of a legalistic practice. And others just might be like, why would I ever want to do that? That seems like the least fun thing to do, give up food. And so I want us to be real about how we're feeling with fasting, and, and I want us to feel like no matter where you're at on the spectrum, that's okay. And I don't want to guilt anyone into feeling like they need to fast or they should feel bad about fasting if, or if they haven't. Um, instead, I want to present fasting in line with how Emma and I have been talking through the personal worship, the spiritual practices that we've been putting forward. And that's just as another practice that we can utilize and feel the presence of God more deeply. Um, so let's get into that. Um, going back to my last talk, I talked about the need as followers of Christ, as all of us wanting to follow the way of Christ, to fight the enemies that will attack our soul as we follow him. And fighting enemies and fasting might not really seem correlated or connected, but as I was preparing for this talk, I actually saw how connected they were. And John Piper has a book on fasting, which I would highly recommend to anyone who's looking into fasting more. But a quote that really stood out to me in the, in the introduction says this, the greatest adversary of love to God is not his enemies, but his gifts. And the most deadly of appetites are not for the poison of evil, but for the simple pleasures of earth. For when these replace an appetite for God himself, the idolatry is scarcely recognizable. And so I want to affirm what I said in my last talk, that we do have to be careful to ward off the attacks of the enemies that um, want to attack our souls. But as Piper says, I also want us to be aware to ward off the attacks or to ward off the desire that we can get into to overindulge in good things. Food is a good thing. Social media can be a good thing. Entertainment can be a really good thing. But when we overindulge, I think we can suppress um, hard things in our lives or even how we're feeling with our walk with God. And so I want us to be careful not to just desensitize ourselves to how we're actually doing. So therefore, fasting allows us to see where there may be good things we're overindulging in, and, and that could be messing with the way that we're um, able to follow Jesus. And so I also just want to say, fasting does not necessarily have to entail food, but when we look at the Bible, that is the way the Bible talks about it, is fasting from food. But there's a, a wide range of experiences with food in this room that I just want to acknowledge to say, and I'll get into this a little bit later, but um, fasting from food might not be, it may be healthy for one person and it may not be healthy for another person. And so I don't want it to feel like the way I talk about fasting has to be just from food. Um, so we'll get into that a little bit more as I continue going, but I want this to feel like fasting is a critical, if not essential, practice of following Jesus, because we see Jesus practicing as well. So we're going to attempt to answer three questions in this talk, and it goes in line with a lot of how we've been unpacking these spiritual practices. We're going to answer the what, what is fasting, why, why do we fast, and then how, 
how do we actually practice fasting? So starting with the what. Fasting is a pretty universally known thing, and I, I thought about starting my talk with talking about the different ways we see fasting practiced in the world, but basically every religion and every society in some way practices fasting. So I think when we hear that word, we all kind of know what that's referring to. Um, but let's define it before we get going. John Mark Homer, the author of The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, as we've mentioned quite a bit in these talks, defines fasting as not eating food. Okay? I think that's kind of funny. It's really simplistic, but it's not comprehensive. It's just not eating food. So another way that I think is more helpful um, of what fasting is, is another author says it's the abstinence, so giving something up, of something good for some spiritual purpose. And I think that's a more helpful definition, that in fasting, we want to give up a good thing, a good gift from God, in order to experience more of the giver of that good gift. So, as I said earlier, fasting doesn't have to just necessarily entail food. Um, and like I was saying, I think of my brother Parker, who has type 1 diabetes, and for him, fasting from food may not necessarily be healthy. Um, because, I mean, his body just works differently than most people. Um, but also, I just want to acknowledge that um, some people in this room may have struggled with eating disorders in the past, or currently could be struggling with that too. And so, it may not be healthy to fast from food. In fact, it might be actually healthier for that person to um, work towards a healthier relationship with food. And so, again, as I, as I talk, I don't want fasting just to be pigeonholed into food. Um, but um, that's something good that we want to give up. You know, it could be social media, television, streaming platforms, any type of entertainment at large. Those are the things that were coming in my head, other than food, that we could look to give up that are good things, but that our culture overindulges in a lot of the times. And so whatever it is that comes to your mind that you would feel um, excited or moved to give up, that thing that we're giving up should draw us into a deeper connection with God. And I also don't want fasting just to look like we're giving up negative influences in our life. Again, as I was preparing for this talk, I thought back to Ellie and I got COVID this spring. And at the beginning of our 14-day quarantine, I downloaded a game on my phone called Knighthood. Just like, I don't know, stupid cartoon game. But anyways, I was giving like hours into that game. I'm not proud to admit it. I can get sucked into things really easily at times. Um, but after a few days talking with Ellie, I decided that I needed to stop playing that game. Um, but me giving up that game is not an example of fasting. Because that game was really leading me to neglect responsibilities and relationships in my life that were supposed to be, you know, top priorities in my life. And so it was leading me to sin by not loving other people well and not stewarding my time well. And so when we think about fasting, we don't just think about, I need to give up this negative influence in my life, but rather seeking to give up good things in our life, like food, something that we need to continue to live, so that we see more of the ultimate good, God himself. And so, I don't want you just to 
take my words for it and run. I want us to look at the Bible and see what the Bible has to say. And so we'll start about fasting in the Old Testament. We'll look there first. And we won't dive in too deep. That's not the purpose of this talk. But there are three themes in the Old Testament with fasting that pop out. Um, so it's three themes and then kind of, kind of a common thread with all of them. But first, the Old Testament kind of shows us a practice of fasting that's inward in nature. So we're going to see inward, outward, and then forward. So the first one, inward. People used fasting to express repentance and grief for their sins. Um, they kind of used it. Uh, an author who wrote an article on Desiring God said they use it as an exclamation point on their repentance, um, which I think is kind of helpful to think about. So another form of fasting would be an outward form, and that's more to grieve tragedies um, or negative circumstances in their life that God's people are facing. When we think of this, we might think of Job, that when everything bad happened to him, he tore his clothes and fasted. And then the last one, and some of these can be interchangeable, but the last one is um, a practice that was kind of forward in nature. And what I mean by that is people practicing this form were seeking God's favor. They were looking for his guidance. And so although these three forms are unique, they do have a common thread, and, and that common thread is that they're all directed Godward. So all of these practices represent that in human nature there is a lack and there is a need for God. Um, David Mathis, who's an author for Desiring God, he puts it this way. Fasting expresses to God our pointedly felt need for God. So it, it's a display to God, which he already knows our need, but it's a display from us to God. We need you. Um, which I just think is a, is a cool way of putting fasting. <coughs> but as I was thinking about this, that's all from the Old Testament. And when we see Jesus come, there is a, we call a new covenant or a new life established in Jesus. And so as I was thinking about this, should Christians fast today? So we see in the Old Testament, right, uh, there's a need for fasting, but they're waiting for the Messiah. And so now that we have the Messiah, and our inward nature is fully redeemed, our sins are forgiven, um, our outward need for the Messiah is fulfilled, and we actually are promised life with God in heaven, and then also our like forward-seeking favor from God is fulfilled in Jesus, right? The favor of God is put on us. Is there a need for fasting? If those three things are what define fasting in the Old Testament, and those three things are answered for us in Jesus, do we need fasting today? I just found this interesting to kind of think through, but um, John Piper answers it in his book, and he thinks about it this way. So there's three passages in which Jesus is kind of talking about this. They're all synonymous, so we're just going to look at one, Matthew 9, 14 through 17. And if you want to turn there in your Bibles, feel free to. Um, but I'm just going to read for us. I don't know if we do have it on the screen here, too. But as we turn in there, you can look with me. We're going to talk about it a little bit, but I'll read it here. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, so John the Baptist, for those contexts, saying, why do we and the Pharisees 
fast, but your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and the worst tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. And you might be thinking, Taylor, why are you talking about this passage? I always find, found this passage really, really confusing when I would read it when I was younger. Um, and I still, until I guess John Piper unpacked it for me a little bit. But you see how Jesus is talking about two things here. The first one, he's getting questioned. Why, do you, why does everybody else practice fasting, but your disciples don't? So there's a relationship there. Why is everybody else fasting? Your disciples don't. And then the second one is this idea of wine and wineskins, and new wine, old wineskins, old wine, new wineskins. And so just to look at that a little bit of what that potentially could mean, first, I think Jesus answers the reason for his disciples not fasting pretty clearly. Um, he talks about himself being the bridegroom, and then his disciples being the wedding guests. So we get this imagery of a wedding going on. And, and Jesus uses, when they ask him about this, Jesus says, uh, I am with them. So kind of talking about himself as the Messiah. I am with them, so they're not going to fast. But it's interesting, the language he uses. When Jesus leaves, it's not if they will fast. It's when they will fast. So he's saying, my disciples will fast when I leave. I think that's pretty convicting for me. So then the second question, talk, kind of thinking about what is it meaning when it's talking about the wine and wine scheme. Um, Jesus is saying you can't put into old wine, old wine into new wine skins or new wine into old wine skins. And I didn't know what this means until, I mean, it was explained to me, but this basically means, I mean, because these two passages are connected, um, Jesus is saying this all in a line. Um, what we can take this to mean is that Jesus is saying the old way of fasting that we've practiced in the Old Testament that we've practiced as God's people we don't use today we have to use a new form of fasting that fits our current circumstances with life in Jesus right? and so in order to understand this this will kind of flow into the why why do we practice fasting and so switching up there why do we fast to answer the questions we have above about that passage, we have to understand that our fasting today when we practice it is no longer about emptiness and waiting for things to come about, but rather about fullness. So we don't have a spirit of emptiness, but we have a spirit of fullness, of completeness, of, of wholeness in Christ. Um, think about it in the three themes we saw in the Old Testament. Uh, our future home, what we're going towards, is not a mystery. We've been promised that we will have new life in heaven with God. Um, we're no longer awaiting this Messiah. We're no longer awaiting the bridegroom. He came to earth, he died for us, and he's raised, he was raised to life, and has promised the same for those who decide to follow him. And therefore, like, our fasting is not rooted in this uh, wanting or uh, an emptiness of like, you know, we want what's promised us, but rather we have tasted the Lord's goodness. We know what a relationship in Jesus is like, and we want more. 
we're so hungry for more of God that we're willing to give up the things of this earth, the good things on this earth, to have more and more of Him. And so this goes along with MNI's vision for personal worship training. I believe that each of these practices would allow you to experience more of the presence of God. John Piper says in his book, abstaining from food or other things, whatever that means, for you, for some time, is not an end in itself, but a means to cause us to learn about and increase our love for Christ. So, MNI's prayer is that fasting would not be the goal, would not be what you're striving after, but rather we would practice fasting in a way that draws us into the presence of God in a more full and complete way. So, two more thoughts on why we fast, and then we'll actually get into how we fast. But as I was thinking about this, Emma was thinking like, hey, could you share a personal example in your life of practicing fasting? Because Ellie and I, basically the past year or so, semester, um, have felt more and more convicted that we should get into the practice of fasting. And so we've been um, wrestling with just that practice. Um, but we really see two things of why we actually practice fasting. One is that it reveals more of ourselves, and then it re- reveals more about God to us. So why does it re- reveal more of ourselves? When we fast, so it could be food, it could be entertainment, it could be whatever that good thing is for you, we're woken up to what we find value in. In other words, when we fast, we, in a sense, uncover things that we're worshiping and trusting in to bring us happiness. And when Ellie and I fast together, when we fasted together this past year, both of us see much more of our sin on the days that we decide to fast than otherwise. I mean, it's crazy. And it just feels like whenever we get hungry, it's like our tempers are shorter, we, we lash out at each other more, um, we're much more prone to laziness and to just kind of say, woe is me. And I don't want this to make it seem like fasting is a bad practice, but rather the opposite. Because if there are things that we're trusting in and allowing our flesh to work in us to produce sin, we need to know what those things are. Um, so we want to see fasting as it brings to light um, what we need to uh, dig out of our lives in order to walk with Christ in a uh, more steadfast way, if that makes sense. But it also, I don't want to just leave it on a sour note, on a negative note. It also reveals more of God. And as for seeing like more of Christ, fasting is a unique practice in that it makes no sense if the promise of heaven doesn't exist. And so we think back to Emma's talk last week of the Sabbath. Um, rest would be a good thing for us to practice because it allows us to really... Um, be able to be rejuvenated and refreshed and enter into work again. And that's true even if heaven isn't real. It's just a good human practice to rest. But fasting makes no sense. Like giving up good things makes no sense if heaven is not real. Like if this is our only life, we should be thinking more food. How can I enjoy more and more and more food? How can I enjoy enjoy more and more and more good things while I'm on this earth? Um, but I want to answer a question that my head, or my mind, brought out when I was thinking about this. If we're thinking about heaven, and we want to think that way, 
won't that kind of leave us absent-minded in this life? And I think this is a real question. With everything happen, happening in the world, like just a lot of hard things, even just this past year that we can put our fingers on, shouldn't we be focused on this life rather than the next? I couldn't answer this question myself, so I had to look at C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. And he says that if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. Aim at heaven, and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you'll get neither. So, I want to put forward that I don't think fasting separates us from the world, but instead creates in us a hope and a love that's the only remedy for the brokenness in the world around us. And so it's designed in our physical hunger to wake us up to the reality of our spiritual longing and hunger for heaven, like with God. And so, as at the beginning of my talk, it's a fasting and hunger for heaven. That's what I want us to have, is a hunger for the next life, a life that's imperishable. That's, it, it will never end. And it's going to be perfect with God. And if we set our minds there, we'll be much more ready to spend ourselves and to look to others' interests in this life. But... So this doesn't just remain a heavy, abstract, abstract concept. Um, how do we actually fast? And there's probably, again, a range of experiences with you know, people practicing fasting in this room. Some may have never done it before, and others might have quite a bit of experience with it. But there's two components in how we fast that I want to touch on. One is the heart disposition, where our hearts are in fasting. So Matthew 16, or Matthew 6, 17 through 18, Jesus is, is, is talking and he says, But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will, will reward you. And sometimes we can overcomplicate scripture, but Jesus' words here are, are crystal clear. He says, when. Again, notice, this isn't if you fast. He's saying when you fast. He's implying that like we will do this as a practice. So when we fast, we should not be looking to be seen. right? We should, we should be fasting from a place of humility, not of pride. Not to be noticed. Not to be exalted. Um, because in fasting, we're looking, again, to exalt the giver of the good gifts and not ourselves, the receiver of the good gifts. And additionally, our fasting should not be done with an attitude of just trying to get through it. Right? I know Jesus says it. I don't want to do it, so I'm just going to get through it. I don't think that is a good attitude or even a God-glorifying attitude to have in this. David Mathis says, if you make it through with an iron will that says no to your stomach, but doesn't turn your mind's eye elsewhere, it says more about your love for food than your love for God. So in fasting, just giving up something, giving up a good thing is not enough. We're to replace that gift with something that will draw us into God's presence, be able to experience Him more. 
So that's still kind of heady or I guess hardy, I guess you could say. Um, but what are the practicals? What does this even look like practical? This is hard for me. I tend to stay up here. I don't get practical. But here are some things that I think could be helpful for all of you. Um, uh, so again, I just want us to acknowledge and to consider that what might be helpful in some people's lives, what might be healthy, may not be healthy in others, right? Parker, probably my brother, should not give up food. He should look probably to give up some other good thing from his life. And again, like I just want us to consider that mental uh, mental health, like eating disorders, like that is something that needs to be weighed and considered before we move into the fasting from food. And so um, I don't want to put this talk on you and say you need to you need to give up food. I want there to be a level of consideration and cautiousness because these things are serious, right? But practicals in this. Initially, I just want us to start basic. So if you've never fasted from food before, it's not wise to jump straight into a week-long fast. I think we could all agree with that, right? Um, starting, like just start with fasting from a meal and it's, you know, the time when you would eat, just pray during that. Or you may decide to fast from your phone for a day. And I think whenever you think of going to your phone, whenever you want to just sit on it, instead just read scripture. Just read some verses from Philippians. Do something like that. From there, work up gradually. So if you fast from a meal, maybe think about fasting for 24 hours. So Ellie and I will go, like, we'll eat dinner, and then we won't eat again until dinner. And during breakfast and during lunch, we'll decide to pray during those times. Um, and this could be with your phone. This could be going from a day to two days or whatever. I, I think you guys get the concept of working up gradually. Um, and I want to say, like, always be seeking the Lord in giving those up, giving those good things up. Because another author says, fasting is not the forfeit of evil, but of good. So we're looking to good, give, sorry, I've said this a lot, but we're looking to give good things up in order to draw near to the Lord. And so this could be filled with prayer, like I said, this could be filled with going to scripture, or it could be filled with, with worship music, or doing something like that that will um, draw you in and meditate on the Lord's goodness. And we've talked about this with every talk in personal worship training, Emma hit on this a lot with the Sabbath last, Sabbath last week, but this is a practice. And so think of it as a practice. Don't expect to be perfect on your first try. Um, before we left the project, Kaylee, my sister and Kaylee B, came up and they got to witness uh, Ellie and I fasting for a day. And like the last few hours, I, I was just like, just like wanting food so bad. I was like, can we go out for supper at four? Like, let's get this thing moving. Like, I need some food. And again, it's like, I was not perfect in that fast at all. But we have to be ready to not take ourselves too seriously and think that we need to be perfect the first time we try it in order for it to be a practice in our lives. Um, lastly, I just want to encourage everybody to bring community in to your fast. Um, whatever that is that looks like for you, I encourage you to use your room this summer um, as accountability in that. And from my experience, I've never fasted alone. I've never decided to 
fast for a day or for a meal alone. It's always been in the context of a discipleship group at, at school where we do it together, or Ellie and I doing it together. And I think there's a level of, one, accountability of let's hold to this, let's hold to what we said we would do, and also you can point each other to the Lord and remind each other of the Lord's goodness in that. So I would highly encourage community and accountability in your fasts. Um, so we're going to transition into a workshop, and it'll be like last week with the Sabbath. But before I move into that, um, I'm just going to pray for us. So Heavenly Father, I remember sitting in um, the same seats as, as everybody here right now five years ago, and fasting was not on my mind at all. Um, but as you draw us near to yourself, as we experience more of who you are, as you fill our cups more and more, as we drink, as I said last time, from the fountain of living waters more and our thirst is quenched, I believe that it is true that on this earth we will indeed give up things in order to experience and know that satisfaction more and more and more. And so I believe that, um, but I pray that I would not just be forcing my words on the audience here this morning, but that um, through your grace, um, you would touch each of our hearts in this room right now to see you as the ultimate thing in our lives, the things that we give up, the thing that we give up everything else for, and that we would look for ways in which we can go without good things in order to experience more of who you are. So I pray that you give us that, that grace to be able to apply that to our lives. We trust in you. In your heaven name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the 2021 Summer Training Project hosted by Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the College Ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church. Please feel free to share this message with others, but please don't charge, edit, or alter the content in any way without the written permission of Campus Outreach Minneapolis.